Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Cherry Beckert's latest technology podcast. My name is Dixie McCurley, and I lead the firm's client accounting services. I'm excited to host another episode. This time, I'm being joined by Lauren Fernandez, CEO of Full Course, an investment firm that incubates and accelerates emerging restaurant brands. Lauren, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on today. So the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast is to get your perspective as an investor. Much of our work is with technology companies, and ultimately it prepares them for an exit, if that's the company's goal. But as we're thinking about the lifestyle of a business and all the components that lead to growth, success, and a sale, what would you say are the primary areas that investors focus on the most? Well, in any investment scenario, the first thing an investor is going to go to is that P&L, right? We want to see that income statement. And I think that's true across many different industries. And so my best advice to anyone who's currently in an operating business and looking to exit in the near future is you've got to clean up that P&L and really be looking at it, especially if you're the proprietor, you're the founder and the owner operator, you probably have some commingling going on, and that's okay, I understand, but you really need to be looking at that P&L and scrubbing it for any unnecessary expense. So as an investor, what I like to see on those types of documents is, is that charge, that purchase, that expense necessary to operate the business? I want a clean representation of what it is to get the inputs in that business and produce the right outputs in the form of profits. So, right, if you've got your car on there or an exaggerated salary, I think you need to really take a step back and think, okay, what is absolutely necessary to run the business? That's what should live on that chart of accounts. That's that's what should live in those those profit and loss statements. You know, often the the number one culprits I see are salary and compensation for the owner aren't market. Um, I see distributions that are irregular. I see expenses that are probably more personal in nature, and those are usually the biggest ones I see. Yeah, it's true. When we see um, client accounting books, as an example, Mm -hmm. oftentimes we see things like the chart of accounts isn't structured where you can actually analyze it. Um, I think that going from that bookkeeper mentality to actually building a business that is going to be for sale or actually you know, an investor can analyze. I see that those types of businesses are often not properly funded. And I say, you know, you've got we've got to do a cleanup project for you because you've underfunded the accounting function along the way. So maybe you could share with us just how much of an investment that is and how much is it worth and valuable to that organization? Yeah. So, man, I'm I'm going to back up a beat here. Number one is make sure you're using a chart of accounts that's standard for your industry. I see this often. There is using a chart of accounts that's appropriate, and then there's the appropriate and consistent use of that chart of accounts, meaning you can have the right codes in there, but not be coding your invoices and your expenses to the right chart within those accounts. Right. So I I struggle with this because even when I see for you know we're in the restaurant space and i'll see the appropriate designations in the chart of accounts but things being billed to the wrong place 
not all paper is a food cost, right? Some paper is an actual office expense. And just the inconsistency between different operating units as well when you want to be comparing apples to apples. So it's not just about getting the right chart of accounts, but about having the consistency from that AR and AP perspective that everything is recorded properly. And it's that consistency over time that a professional accounting firm gets you. Now, I see this often. Many startups and even early stage companies that are, let's say, less than five years old or even sub three million in EBITDA underfund their accounting function. And they try and scrape it together with either a bookkeeping, a part time bookkeeper, offshore accounting, um, or do it themselves through QuickBooks or what have you. And while I understand that that's a necessary step for some early stage businesses, at some point, the professionalization of those services is worth its weight in gold. And it's not just about the exit and the runway to exit. That data coming in is critical to you being able to trust your own instincts and validate your judgment on the trends in the company and respond to them in a timely fashion. And so as you, I love this phrase, you say it all the time, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you don't have good inputs into your chart of accounts and your accounting systems, regularly timed closes and reporting that you can rely on as a leader, you're not gonna be making the best business decisions even in real time. Never mind the fact that at the end of the road, that run of all of those properly closed books and the data is what an investor is gonna wanna see too. And it is an investment, right? You said that. And to me, if you're willing to pay for all of the other things to market your business, to have the lawyers draw it up correctly, you should be willing to pay between two to $5,000 a month for somebody to be running your books. And that should be a professional accounting firm, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that if the investor doesn't trust your books, you're not going to get an investor. An investor, They're just not going to go out on a limb and clean those up. They're, they'll walk from the deal. And ultimately, that's not a good place to be. If we were to think about from a technology standpoint, um, what are the areas do you see are private equity and, and VC funds considering when you're looking at a potential investment? You know, I, I think when we're looking at investment, we want to see that there's a tech stack in place, but it's being utilized to maximum effect. And there is some ways to use technology in the intersection of accounting to really, I think, achieve some better investor confidence. And that's something that we're always looking at, right? How quickly are they closing their books? How quickly can they run a new report for us? Do we have live feeds to their accounting can we layer our dashboard on top of their feed? And all of this underpinning this entire conversation is ease of access and technology. And one of the things that we're seeing is AI is empowering a lot of business owners to run reports more efficiently, to teach and machine learn on, okay, this type of expense is always coded this way, right? And, and to do some of the easy blocking and tackling to make those closes happen on a monthly basis even faster. And so I think what's happening is we're seeing as investors that technology is enabling us to have greater visibility and more transparency into these businesses with greater speed. And so for businesses that are not doing the fundamentals, and I mean, again, backing it up a step here, chart of accounts, good accounting practices, 
routine closes, clean books. You, that technology is just going to shine a floodlight on how antiquated your practices are. So what I want to say here is technology is not a silver bullet for the lack of solid accounting fundamentals. You have to start at the beginning with that clean chart of accounts and really good practices and timing of closes. Yeah, I, I love how you say it, that the foundational linchpin of this is, is accounting. And you've even spoken about that um, it's like an art form, the way that you make the numbers really tell the story of the business. This is a big part, I think, of your second point. You know, to get your first point, a clean P&L using your second point, technology solutions, you know, I think that we have to also go for what does the future look like? So from an accounting side, as we're trained on, um, you know, various technology platforms, we're that managed service provider. We're not just that debit and credit shop. And I think AI is really disrupting the market and what it's going to look like for the future. So I think the third thing I want to talk to you about is what are your thoughts on AI and the future of AI? I've got I've done a couple of sessions now about what's the future of accounting looking at with AI. And I don't think that AI is going to replace the art form of the accountant. I think that accountants that use it are going to replace accountants that don't. But I'm curious about for you from in terms of a potential investment, what are you thinking about about what AI is going to do for disrupting, um, you know, the way that businesses operate today? You know, I think generally when we're talking about AI and look, I, I'm an I'm an attorney and I do believe that there is equal science and art to analyzing risk when you are sitting in that seat. And I think similarly, accountants have to have a mastery of accounting practices, but also understand the art of applying them to any business to maximum effect. And I view those as being augmented by AI, but never really truly replaced. And I really discourage people from, again, leaning into what looks like an easy hack or an easy cleanup or using any type of AI-empowered software to, quote, clean their books or do their accounting for them. I don't know that we're there uh, yet or ever. And I have some deep concerns with the confidentiality because a lot of these deep neural networks that are behind chat GPT and a lot of these AI powered uh, search engines are capturing those searches and the results from them and feeding them back into the learning machine, which makes the information therefore not confidential anymore. And there are some serious legal considerations there. Um, you know, a lot of businesses consider their books and their their accounting practices to be confidential and in some cases to even be trade secret. And I would caution anyone before pumping any kind of data like that into an AI-powered search engine that it can become public, public, part of the public database, part of the, you know, behind firewall deep neural network that they're creating behind these AI machines and therefore beyond your control. Um, you know, I think that there are some ways to use these with the well-informed intent of not putting confidential information into these search engines. They're good for lower risk projects. You know, they are generating more interesting and accurate search results for us, even on Google now has an AI powered 
bot that's at the top of their search results. You know, you can use it in sales context. You can use it to generate social media posts. But I do believe that what lawyers and accountants do in this space is really truly an art form. And you have to take those practitioners as your trusted partners and bring them on the journey with you. And if I can advocate for one thing is that use technology as an additive to that team. Don't think of technology as being the replacement for what is a reasonable expense and a necessary expense for the solid growth of your business. So Lauren, in talking about AI, and, you know, in the restaurant space, as an example, some, you know, that type of business, where do you see that AI might have the biggest impact on the restaurant industry? Wow, what a great question. I think, especially in this inflationary period that we're seeing right now, the craziness we saw during and post pandemic with supply chain issues, the number one thing that we need AI for in the restaurant industry is measuring food costs. We are not at a place as an industry where we can get to dynamic pricing on menus until we truly understand the full cost, prime cost loaded food and labor attached to those meals that are on your plate. And for many restaurants, this starts with the most rudimentary task of inventory. And in many cases, the volume of the restaurant necessitates, especially in these inflationary periods, that we do inventory fairly regularly, even as frequently as every week. And that's a challenge. Um, Many restaurants are not set up for it, are still using clipboard and paper. And what we are seeing in other industries in munitions and with government and DOD contracts, with airlines counting liquor bottles, is camera AI-enabled software that allows inventory to be taken in real time. And that would cut down on not only the labor that's attached to taking inventory, but it would improve accuracy, not just in the input, but also in the actual understanding of what real-time food costs are. Those inflationary pressures then pass through the restaurant to the end consumer as a price adjustment. And in that respect, I think as an investor, I love this idea. I want to see it come to fruition. I'm pushing it. I'm putting it out into the universe right now because I feel like that would get us to a place in like other industries like consumer packaged goods and retail and in grocery where we're able to do just-in-time inventory controls, just-in-time pricing and more dynamic pricing to end consumers passing those inflationary pressures on. So if I could put that ask into the universe. There it is. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think technology companies have a wide open field of all the areas that they need to, you know, become experts in uh, for businesses to be able to continue to transform that with technology. It's some interesting stuff. I, I think we're, this is not going away. This is the beginning of a, of a very, very long process where we figure out where the boundaries are on AI, intellectual property, and what what is yours versus what is machine created and where where the intersection of those two things are. So, you know, I think it's just it's a new tool and we're just figuring out ways to fit this into our construct, our legal constructs, our business and professional and philosophical constructs. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. 
part of the journey of this is people will abuse it along the way. There's no doubt. There's why there's these deep fakes out there and all kinds of crazy stuff happening that you see in the news. And I think that that's just part of the journey, right? You know, when we as a society are given one of these leaps in technology, we have to figure out where our socio-political and philosophical boundaries lie. And I think that is what is going to happen over the next year or two as we continue to see an explosion of apps that are just leveraging AI search engines behind them, which is a whole nother thing. Because even as we're developing all these constructs to use them better on top, the machine behind it is learning and getting more powerful and more accurate, which is a little scary. Excellent. Yeah, I think I think the three things that we've talked about are those primary areas that investors focus on is that number one, you mentioned the clean PL, number two, the technology mm-hmm. solutions. And then I think three is what are the future considerations of AI using technology partners? So Lauren, thank you so much for joining us and your fantastic insight. Um, And thank you to all of you that are listening and joining us today. We hope you'll take a few moments to check out our other podcast episodes from our technology team. And as always, we're happy to answer questions that you have about any of the topics discussed today. You can find our contact information wherever you're listening. And so thanks again very much. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on today.